gentleman who uh, covers the uh, NFL very intently from uh, SportsOnEarth.com. Uh, Mike Tanier joins us once again. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great. If you love playoffs, you're going to love playoffs when Roger Goodell is done with them because they might have 34 to 38 teams in those playoffs, even though there's only 32 NFL teams. They're going to keep going until they get the Florida State. <laughs> yeah, there's probably a pretty good chance of that. I guess let's start first of all with I think what obviously should be a great defensive matchup, Carolina-San Francisco. They only combined for 19 points when they met when Carolina won in San Francisco 10-9. Now Carolina's at home, but they don't pass the ball a whole bunch. They run the ball better than at least more consistent than any other team in the league. Is one of these defenses going to break, and if so, which one? I don't think either defense is going to break. I think the first team, the 20, is going to win this game. What you're looking at the San Francisco 49ers, I think it's the best front seven in the NFL. The Seahawks might have something to say about that, but a lot of their strength is really in the secondary. The second best front seven might be the Carolina Panthers. When you look at their front four, when you look at Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis. So you have two teams that can really attack in the trenches. And like you said, two teams that both want to run the ball and don't want to throw downfield a whole lot. It comes down to maybe not which defense cracks, but which offense is at full strength. And the thing I think everyone is watching right now, Steve Smith, wide receiver from Panthers, his injury situation, he's listed as questionable. He's been practicing, but he's been saying that he doesn't feel good. Whether that's all a big ruse on his part or not, we'll have to see. But he could be the difference maker, whether the Panthers can still score enough this time to, to even get to, like, 17 points and make a difference. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, you don't know in the NFL, even though I know they have questionable, all that stuff as far as the injury of Smith, but if they don't have him in the lineup, you know that San Francisco is going to take away Greg Olson, and I'm just not sure, you know, Ted Ginn Jr. is a, a consistent enough receiver to really be a threat. No, he is not. What Ted Ginn does very well is when the pressure is off him, when Steve Smith is taking double coverage, taking the best corners, then Ginn can beat you with speed and he can beat you with comeback routes. But he's a boundary player. He's a limited player. Brandon LaFell is a good player when he's facing nickel defenders. He's not very good when he's facing a number one or number two cornerback. So the whole thing shifts down, and it changes what Cam Newton sees when he looks downfield. All of a sudden, he has to create, create, create. He's been creative this year, but the difference this year is he doesn't always have to create. He's able to just find receivers and make things look a little easier. If he doesn't have Steve Smith, he has to go back to trying to make a lot of plays with his feet, make a lot of magical plays, and that's really not what the Panthers are best at. They're better at being a consistent offensive team. They need Steve Smith to be that. Mike Tanier joins us. Uh, Mike, uh, looking at the defensive side of the ball, uh, Thomas Davis in that Panthers defense, how do they – and it's hard to contain a guy like Kaepernick because – you know what, when all of a sudden the pocket breaks down and he just turns on the Jets and scampers outside, even if you have a bogey guy who's supposed to cover him, it's virtually impossible to really contain those type of guys. How do you see them matching up just against the flat-out speed of Kaepernick when he runs? That's the one thing I think we saw in the last matchup is Kaepernick would take to the open field. And the surprising thing the Panthers have is Luke Keekley can catch up to him in the open field. And Thomas Davis, who started his career as safety and moved to linebacker, can catch up with Kaepernick in the open field. So he's running for daylight, but you're not going to see what you saw in the Packers game where it's a 17-yard run, 15-yard run. All of a sudden, it's a 6- or 7-yard run. It's third and two in the scramble instead of first and ten. And when you start doing that, when you force them to make more plays and just have that scramble play and then the Bolden play and then, like, the one bomb Davis, when you force the Niners to do that, they're very ordinary on offense. And I think we saw that 
uh, a couple weeks ago when they met. They became they had a very hard time moving the ball downfield. They became very beatable, and that's what the Panthers have to try to do. This time they have to do it with Michael Crabtree and with Vernon Davis, both healthy for the 49ers, giving them a little bit more diverse in offense. Mike, who do you like in the game? Who are you picking? I'm picking Carolina, but I'm only picking Carolina because I think Steve Smith is uh, crying a little bit of a chicken little thing here, saying that his leg hurts. And I think he's trying to set the 49ers up a little bit. Uh, let's stay in the uh, NFC, New Orleans, Seattle. Uh, Seattle, of course, was unbeatable until Arizona went in there. And, and while that might much give a, teams at least a, a, a shred of hope, the reality is I think it probably forces Seattle to be even better. Their secondary can lock down anybody, uh, I feel. If New Orleans is going to win, how do they attack that uh, Seattle defense to put up points? Well, the best thing they did against Philadelphia last week is they broke out some of the more primitive techniques. Uh, Sean Payton said after the game that he watched and paid attention to the line of scrimmage, saw they were winning individual battles, and said, hey, let's run off tackle. Let's not make everything a scientific, you know, five different players doing five different things attack. That worked very well for the Saints in that game. That's something that the Saints can do against a lot of teams, a weapon they don't use a lot. They need that because you can't make a lot of substitutions in the noise going to get confusion. They saw that last time when they were trying to bring five guys in, five guys out, and there was confusion because there was so much noise, and there's going to be rain this week. They have to be able to play that primitive game. The problem is, while that might be their best solution, it's not a very good solution because there are a few teams that are tougher to face in the trenches in the Seattle Seahawks. I think the Niners are number one. Seahawks are probably two and three in that regard. It's a tough team to say we're going to beat you with smash mouth tactics. Mike Tanier from uh, SportsOnEarth.com joins us. Uh, quickly, Mike, who do you like in that game? I like Seattle all the way, and when I see Percy Harvin's healthy, it only makes it a little bit better. Let's um, look at the uh, AFC, and to me, I think the most intriguing game of the weekend is Indianapolis in New England. Now, a lot of people say, oh, it's outdoors, and Andrew Luck can't handle the cold, and, and that's fair. But Tom Brady and the Patriots the last five years in the playoffs are not Tom Brady and the Patriots that they were the previous five years in the playoffs. Uh, handicap this matchup. Uh, who do you like and why? It's not so much that they haven't been the same team in the playoffs, and I think we still think of 2004 or 2007 when we think of the Patriots. It's that they're not the same team this year. So many of the familiar faces are injured or they're gone, and they've had to find different ways to win. The one thing that you have seen with the Patriots this year has been a week-to-week resiliency. They brought in other guys. They brought in off the bench, replacements, guys off of the three-agent wire, and they performed well enough. That puts them in a good situation against the Colts team. Well, hey, the comeback was amazing, but we watched the first half of that Colts game, and that happened too. If the Colts are in a situation where they spot the Patriots a 20-point lead, a 21-point lead, it's not going to be something where they're going to have an easy comeback like they had last week. The bottom line is when you go against the Patriots and you have to scheme, scheme, scheme to get things done, if you have to scheme to get your number one receiver open because you don't have a two or three, you're feeding into Belichick. He's going to out-strategize you. The teams that the Patriots always have trouble with are the fundamentally sound power teams. That's really not what the Colts are. I think they've had a great run. I think Andrew Luck is one of the most exciting young players. But I see the Patriots up and down, quarterback coaching, and the depth they found this year taking that win. So who do you, when you look at all that covered and, and T.Y. Hilton, can T.Y. Hilton, I'm assuming he's not going to get left downfield when he's clearly their number one guy <laughs> like we saw last weekend. Uh, who do you see the, uh, the Patriots putting on him to shut him down? 
I think you're going to see a variety of things, that you're going to roll things. It's not just going to be a Tlaib. It's not going to be, you know, it's always, always double coverage. What Bill Belichick has done for years, and he's done phenomenally, is rotate. Sometimes it's going to be, you know, a bracket coverage situation. Sometimes it's going to be cover three. Sometimes he's going to disguise it. And I think the Chiefs were trying to do that. It just broke last year, I mean, last week. So there's a lot of different ways you can do that. The bottom line is, if you shut down T.Y. Hilton, you really don't have a lot else to worry about. So that can be the entire focus of the defensive game plan. It can be the focus of every rolling coverage. And then they can turn to luck and say, what do you have now? And when you look up and down the skill position roster, they don't have a lot. No, they, they don't. They, <laughs> the, the, and, you know, the Trent Richardson trade, uh, I'm sorry. He's not even their number one guy. They gave up a first-round pick for him. Uh, Donald Brown's better. And uh, every fan in Cleveland told you Richardson just doesn't have explosiveness to, to be, a, I think, a, a great back. He, he's almost like a, you know, a short yardage guy now. That's essentially what he's become. He's a bad short yardage guy. The problem is if you try to bring him in with one tough yard, he'll try to bounce it to the outside. He has developed some terrible, terrible habits. The Colts should have seen that. I think they might have told themselves they were going to fix that during the season. Maybe it can be fixed in the offseason. Right now, that looks like one of the, the worst trades, one of the worst in-season trades I've seen in decades in the NFL. Oh, I would agree with you on that one. Mike Tanier joins us from uh, sportsonearth.com. So quickly, who do you like, uh, Patriots-Colts? I'm going to go with the Patriots in that one. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to look past all oh, Brady and Belichick at home and all that magic. You look past that, and you're still left with the fact that this is a strong team up and down and the best coach team probably in the NFL. And uh, lastly, the Broncos and the Chargers. I've been reading a lot of people who think because of the Chargers head coach who knows the Broncos, the fact that, you know, they've had a lot of success there, even though, they, you know, they were 1-1 one and one on the season, but uh, both games were very tight. The Broncos weren't able to, uh, to light up their defense like they did all the other teams. A, why do you think that is? And B, do you think the Chargers can pull off the big upset? Two things that the Chargers did very well. They ran the ball incredibly well in their last meeting with the Broncos, in addition to the playoff game. So they were able to slow the game down and, and, and prevent the number of opportunities Peyton Manning had. And then they did a good, a good job stopping the run, which you don't think that's a big deal against Peyton Manning until he throws his seven-yard pass and it's third and four and third and five because the running back got stuffed for a two-yard loss. And it changes the way he likes to do business as well. So those were two very good things. Now, the problem that the Chargers face coming in, Ryan Matthews appears to be injured, not 100%. The center, Nick Hardwick for the Chargers, the center for years and years there, he's not 100%. He hasn't been practicing. That's going to hurt their running game. The return of Wes Welker on the other side is going to give Peyton Manning a few more options in terms of being able to turn those five, six, seven-yard passes into eight, nine, 10, 11, 12-yard passes. That tilts the game where you think maybe there was a, it was a little bit closer than it looks on paper. Now when you look at the injury situation and who's coming back, it tilts it way closer to the Peyton Manning and the Broncos. It tilts it in his favor. Yeah, do you see the Broncos? I really don't see the, the, uh, the Chargers keeping this one close. Mike, what do you think? No, I don't. I think we got very excited from what we saw last week from the Chargers. And then if you look more closely at that game, the Bengals were going in to score you know, early in the third quarter, and they were going to take a lead, and that game was going to get there. And then Gio Barnard fumbled, uh, you know, very sloppy fumble, and it turned the entire dynamic of that game around. This is not a particularly strong Chargers team. It's exciting what they did on short notice turning that team around, but they have to build on defense. They don't have the defensive horses, and they do not have the depth to absorb injuries like the ones that they faced last week. 
I'm guessing then uh, I know your answer to the question. Uh, you're going to pick the uh, the <laughs> the Broncos, obviously, in that game. So if you when you look at the teams that you pick then for your final four, Mike, and I know it's a little bit uh, leaping ahead, but if they all win, who do you then see as your Super Bowl finalists? Well, I have the Seahawks coming out of the NFC. They're one of the strongest teams in really in NFL history, at least the last 20 years that we have, like the modern era of NFL. And I'm going to back that up with football outsider statistics. If people go to my sportsonearth.com and read about it, you will see where Seattle Seahawks rank this year. That's what I like on that end. On the other side, I got Brady going against Manning. Don't make me pick that now. Give me a chance. Give me a chance to look at that one one more time because Lord knows we've only seen that, what, 14 times in history, and I need to have one more look before I make a call. But you know what? I, I mean, not to take away the, uh, the, the suspense here, but my article this week was called Chalk City. When you get to this time of year, the favorites are there for a reason because they look good because they're very good teams, and that's why I wound up picking a lot of home favorites this time of year. Mike, uh, appreciate reading your stuff. Uh, enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Good talking to you guys.